Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. John chapter 18, verse 15. John chapter 18, verse 15. I want you to hold your Bible in there. I told you we're a declaring church, so you can just hold it in your hand, and we're going to make this declaration really quick, okay? Everybody say, this is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, my mind, my spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God... I thank you that fruit, come on, that's pitiful. That fruit, come on, where are you at? Wake up. That fruit, godly fruit, say godly fruit, will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life in Jesus' name. How many believe that? Amen. John chapter 18, verse 15 through 18. And it says this. And Simon Peter, everybody say Peter. Peter. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you not one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Now I want you to under, you don't have to underline this verse, but maybe in your mind just underline. People tell me to underline in my Bible. I'm like, I don't want to underline in my Bible. You don't have to underline, but underline this in your mind's eye, this scripture right here. It says, now the servants and officers who had made a fire out of coals, stood there. Somebody say fire. They made a fire and stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. How can you preach from that verse? This verse has been rolling in my heart, rolling around all week just spinning round and round in my heart. And I begin to think about it as I begin to examine the scripture. Now, you can't just read the scripture. You have to really read it and really look at it. Sometimes I'll read verses over and over for 30 minutes at a time and try to figure out what God is actually trying to say in the verses. And and as I begin to read it, I begin to think about it. I begin to think about the context in which this scripture was written. This was during the time that Jesus was about to be tried by the high priest. This was the time when he's in the courtyard um, where he's about to be, have his beard plucked out. He's about to have the crown of thorns put on his head. They're about to spit on him. They're about to call him a blasphemer. So Peter, who's disgruntled, he's discouraged. He's outside of the courtyard because he just got through denying Jesus three times. He's frustrated. He's feeling really insecure because after all, he had said, Jesus... Even if all forsake you, I'm going to be the last man standing. 
Even if all leave you, I'm going to be your guy until the end. He even said it like this, I'll go to prison and even to death with you. And yet we, hear, we find Peter here warming himself by a fire. And if you look really closely at these verses, they're there for a reason. You know when the Bible says therefore, I hear a lot of preachers say there's a reason why it says therefore, because there's a reason it's there, right? I mean, why would they put this detail in the scripture? I mean, how does this personally apply to our lives? Why put in, why did the Holy Spirit preserve this scripture on how Peter was warming himself by a fire? I begin to think that more than likely, Peter's heart began to get really, really cold. And when you get cold on the inside, you need external things to keep you warm. Preach it, young preacher. Somebody say, preach it. When there are times and seasons in our lives when we're feeling cold and distant from God, we pull things externally close to us so we can warm ourselves. We call those external fires. You know, I grew up and I'm Southern. I've tried to work on shaving off that accent that came down my family line. Any, is there any Southerners in the house? There's one Southerner back there I see. I know there's a couple of you guys in here. But for some odd reason, for some odd reason, I've had this insatiable attraction for the outdoors. Don't ask me why. I think it comes down my family line. My mother used to tell me, I'm not sure how true it is, but she said some, some of our great, great, uh, great, great grandfather, uncle is, well, they were red men. They were, they were Indian on a reservation. Uh, so supposedly we had some close kin in line. If you look at my mom's face, maybe you can tell a little bit there, especially their oldest sister, Donna, who's passed on. Uh, but anyway, I have this insatiable desire to be outside a whole lot, like on the river, like I can see myself doing nothing else when I have free time, which I don't get much of that. I like to fish a lot. I love hunting. I love boating. I love being in the outdoors. If you're not careful, I'm on a boat and you're on there with me and you'll, you hear a big splash and I'm on top of an alligator. I mean, I'm pretty wild. I show all my friends I'm out in the wilderness pulling gators by their tails, jumping on them. Pray for pastor. How many have seen that video? One day we'll show it to you. Joel was with me that day. But I've always had this draw to the outdoors. So I grew up hunting, fishing, camping. Camping in particular, I really, really love. I love to go camping out near Wakiva Springs and Rock Springs. And, and I would begin to think about this as I uh, kind of tie it with this verse, in a sense. Uh, what, when you think camping, what do you really think? You don't just think tents. You think about fires. I mean, you think about mosquitoes, and, and I tried to get Matt Gilman to go camping, and he, was just, he just wasn't having it. He's like, you know, who wants to be eaten by a bear? What's fun? What's fun about that? I said, maybe, maybe it's the thrill. But um, I thought, for me, what would a camping trip look like without a fire? You know, fire keeps the bugs away. I mean, what's a camping trip without s'mores over the fire with your Hershey's chocolate and your graham cracker? How many like s'mores? So I started thinking about that. And I think as, as, as a camping trip is useless without a fire, so are believers without the fire in their life. Amen? So what good is a camping trip without a fire? But also what good 
is a Christian without the fire of God in their lives. And I am concerned with where the body of Christ is right now. I have great hope, but I also have some disappointments because there's nothing worse to me than a Bible-believing, tongue-talking Christian who walks around, professes Jesus, and lives lives, who live their lives full of fear, right? Because the fire of God is there to consume everything that shouldn't be there. And we walk with the fire of God on our lives. We walk in a place of victory. We walk always being hopeful. It doesn't mean that everything always goes good, right? It's not always tiptoe through the tulips. Everything is not always going great in our lives. But when we have the fire of God, it carries us through. And we're able to have sustained joy even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of hardship, trials, pain, doesn't matter. In the midst of coronavirus spreading, when the fire of God is in your life, you are always hopeful. You are always expecting the best. You are always seeing the glass half full and not empty. The person who doesn't have the fire of God in their life always has to warm themselves externally because they have lost or quenched the fire of God on the inside of them internally. And so today I want to encourage you with this message entitled, Fan the Flame. Somebody say, Fan the Flame. You got to fan the flame. Fires do not happen all by themselves. There's something that you have to do. And I said this to one of our team in the, in the green room just before service. I, I probably, that's probably not totally right because there are fires that do not start without our doing. I call those wildfires. And there's lots of Christendom wildfires happening out there that should not be happening right now. Anybody ever been to a weird church? Say Amen. But we want to be fires that are contained, but we also want to create fires that grow and grow and grow because where you are and how hot you are in your relationship with the Lord, your temperature should be rising as your relationship progresses and you, as you grow in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Somebody say, fan the flame. And so one of my first points I want to make before I really jump into this is I want you to check your temperature this morning. Come on, put your hand on your forehead. Check your temperature. As I said before, you know, I'm Southern, and so I really love me some sweet tea. See, we didn't say tea, we said, how, how do you say, I, I've kind of worked on my tea, tea, tea. There he's got it. He's got it. So I really love uh, sweet tea. So the way that I like it, if you're really Southern, it's got to be like Sonny's sweet tea. That's really sweet tea. I mean, it'll, it'll start a car engine kind of sweet right? It's, it's more like, uh, I want sugar with a dash of, of tea. That's how that's Southern sweet. And so sweet tea, when it's warm, doesn't taste very good. How many coffee drinkers? Let me try to relate to the coffee drinkers in the house. Some of you look like you need a cup or two this morning. <laughs> tea tastes really bad when it's warm or lukewarm or hot, right? Unless you're a hot tea drinker. I'm not necessarily a hot tree tea drinker. She likes a hot tea. So there's nothing worse for me than a, than a really hot tea, meaning like room temp, right? It's not cold. It has no ice. And there's nothing worse than cold coffee. And, and there's this vis, verse that's been disturbing me a little bit, uh, and it's found in Revelation 3.16. And it says this, so then because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, and I will vomit you says the Lord, out of my mouth. In other words, he, he's, he's not saying uh, that, that this lukewarm Christian makes him sick. He's not saying that. He's saying that the disposition in their lifestyle makes him sick. 
He's saying there's, there's nothing worse than carrying your Bible around saying that you trust God, yet you live in fear. He's saying there, there's nothing worse than to say you believe me and you trust me and you, and, it, and you walk by a sick person and it doesn't bother you. Just look straight. Just straight right now. Because I've been there. Remember I told you guys about the, the guy when I, I walked by him. He was in the, in the wheelchair and I had to repent. And I said, Lord, I'm not praying for him. I'm just too nervous. I was in a store. And then the following day, like a couple, maybe it was two days later, the same guy rolls by on the sidewalk. And he gave me another opportunity. So it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. You know, sometimes you kind of get a little scared. You don't know what's going to happen. So, so I, I totally understand that. But, but God wants his fire to burn so deeply in us that sickness bothers us, that disease bothers us. When we walk into a room and we see dysfunction, the Holy Spirit through us wanna, wants to manifest his excellence in an atmosphere. Come on. Some people think they need counseling in their marriage. Can I tell you, you need the fire of God in your marriage. Come on, if you want to kindle the fire again, get in God's presence. After all, he made marriage. It was born in his heart. Somebody look at somebody's spouse and say, look at your own spouse, brother. Say, you need the fire. You need the fire. Got to be careful how I say that. So it's not the disposition. It's the disposition he's talking about. He's not saying you make me sick and you're cold. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, your lifestyle, your belief system is, is, is turning my stomach Amen? And what does this look like walked out in a believer's life? What does this look like practically? Here's what I think it looks like. I think it looks like a guy who screams at the top of his lungs at his TV screen like he's the head coach of a football team and he's cheering them on and he's yelling at them and he's saying, oh, touchdown or what are you doing? And he's got all these different things he would tell them if he's on the sidelines with them. And then he comes to the church and he can't even lift his hands and he can't even utter a word to praise the king lukewarmness. What do I mean by lukewarmness when it comes to a woman? It's, it's, it's the woman who shouts and gets all ecstatic and excited when she sees her new nails or when her friend tries on a dress and she thinks it's amazing. And then she comes to the house of the Lord and she cannot be entertained by the presence of the Lord. This is lukewarmness. Somebody say, warm up. Somebody say, check your temperature. You know, some people are more on fire about leaving church than they are about coming. There's some people who come to church and they're planning, I'm going to go to, you know, Olive Garden. There's nothing wrong with that. I've kind of winked and nudged my wife a few times, but far be it from us that we be more entertained about leaving God's house than coming to his house. I'm talking about lukewarmness. I'm talking about check your temperature, check your spiritual barometer. How hungry are you for God's presence? How hungry are you for the fire of God in your life? No, I'm not going to tone it down just because we have 20 people in here this morning. I try to tone it down. This is toned. We can't be more ecstatic about our favorite football teams or say yes to the dress than the things of God. We can't be more excited about leisure activities and vacations, although all those things that I mentioned are permissible. They're fun. They're great, and we should be excited, but they should never triumph our passion and our desire and our zeal for the Lord's work and for his and for a relationship with him in our lives. God, by his very nature, is a passionate God. For God so loved the world. They kinda, we kind of just pass by that so part. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we know that's, a, that's more of an evangelistic verse, like God gave his life for you, so you should serve him. But you know what really catches me is that so part. He's being emphatic when he, he slid that in on, on us. He, he's so loved. In other words, he's passionate about this. You serve a God that is passionate for you. Who wakes when, he, when you wake up in the morning, he's not trying to drink a coffee to get warmed up to you. We have to do that with him. He can't wait to hear from you. He is on fire about your future. He is, he is hungry to have relationship with you. He is desiring dialogue with you. When you wake up, he is waiting, like on the starting line, waiting to engage with him or with her in, in, in conversation and dialogue because he's all about relationship and he is passionate about it. And his relationship, his, his zeal for the, his relationship with you never dies out. I know you've been married for 20 years and zeal begins to die out. Well, God is not like that. His passion is on an ever-increasing incline for you because he has something precious for you waiting in your future. He has, just like uh, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 29, 11, I have plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. He's a passionate God. Somebody say, he's, a, he's passionate. And can I tell you the quickest way to quench the passion of God or the fire of God in your life is that three-letter cuss word that we don't want to talk about anymore, and it's called sin. Rebecca, we had dinner with Rebecca and Benjamin the other night, and she said something that I already know because my mother has told me several times. They believe I should be, have been born in the 50s. And they, they call me old soul. I think it's because I listen to people like Leonard Ravenhill and Reinhard Bonnke and all these other generals in the Lord. And so from a young boy, I've always had older friends. But, and, but, but as I talk about sin these days, that's not a very popular word. We say not living right. We dress it up with other nicer, moderate words. But there's nothing faster that will quench the fire of God in your life than sin. Why does it quench the fire of God in our lives. Because when we sin against God, we feel this, we feel this gulf come between us and we're no longer confident that God can answer the prayers. And on top of that, when we sin, we're no longer confident that he loves us nor values us nor believes that we can be used by him. Sin will separate you. Sin will quench the fire of God in your life. And it's not that God wants to be distant. We distance ourselves because of our consciousness. Amen? The enemy doesn't fear people who profess Jesus. Those days are over. He fears people who are full of the fire of God. How many want to put the devil on the run? Amen. And if you want to keep the fire and the flame of God in your life and you want it to be ever increasing, you got to do a few different things. How many want to know what they are? One of them is feed the fire. You have to feed the fire. Somebody say feed the fire. Fires that are not fed fizzle out quickly. Somebody say, feed the fire. As I said before, fires, good fires, controlled fires, don't get set on their own. They are intentionally set. They are intentionally fed. And you have to be careful what you feed your fire. If you fire too much, if you put too much gasoline on a fire, it could implode. I had a friend of mine one time, don't ask me what he was thinking, he stands over a bonfire and he's putting gasoline on it in a 20-gallon tank and he's standing over it and he decides to light it. Long story short, he came out looking like one of the blue guys who played the drums. He had no eyebrows after and he was like purple. Engulfed him. 
You have to be careful what you feed your fire. You have to be careful how you light your fire. You know, when I gave my heart to the Lord um, when I was younger, I'm still young, but when I was younger, I, uh, I went to a friend's house. I, I was kind of stuck in between. I was, I was too saved. I was new, newly saved, but I was too saved to live like they were living but I was still so new that I didn't develop other godly friendships and relationships. Has anybody ever been there? Like when you're kind of a brand new Christian, you like, you can't hang out with worldly people anymore and you're kind of stuck and then you can't go to the church people because you're still kind of, you don't look to save as you're going to be, right? I was kind of stuck in the middle. And so I'm hanging out at 11 o'clock at night. I'm at their house and they're all still drinking and I enjoy hanging around them. I just wasn't going to drink and didn't have any, you know, I was full of the fire of the Holy Spirit. I just got saved. I was probably six months or a year in. And then as they were drinking and, and, and I'm standing there, one of the guys puts his drink down. And he says, I cannot drink around you. I'm totally convicted. You know, Smith Wigglesworth says he would walk on trains and without even saying anything to any of the people, he, he said that conviction would come over them and they would fall out of their seats on their face asking, how can I get saved? So I started finding this one thing out. God gave me a revelation. So I never got invited back to my friend's house, although I was kind of like the ringleader at the time, never got invited back after that time. I mean, they all treated me like I had like a big, you know, disease on my face. They didn't want to have nothing to do with me until, you know, stuff hit the fan in their life, you know, until they were going through hardship and then they would call me. But I was invited to no more gatherings. And here's the revelation that God gave me, Benjamin. He said, icicles and fires can live in the same world, but they cannot hang out together. You should write that one down. That's the DSV version. Icicles and fires can be in the same world at different places, but they cannot hug and kiss. They cannot hang out with each other. You want scripture for that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? If you're going to add to the flame of God in your life, be careful who you hang out with. They're either going to feed the flame of God in your life or they're going to quench the flame of God in your life. And many people tell me, you know, Donnie, if you give it a few years at the very beginning stages of my walk with the Lord, they said, if you give it a few years, your zeal is going to really settle down. I remember that distinctly. I was 17 years old. They said, you're going to calm down. Not only is the fire still ever increasing, but I'm as hot as ever. I am on fire as ever. And those people who once tried to quench me and now they're cold and got a part of God's frozen chosen. God doesn't want us to fizzle out. That's not God's idea. God wants you to ever increase. He wants you to be a ball of flame for him. He wants you to be... This this is what Jesus said. There is one, or excuse me, John, the, the, John, the, uh, John the Baptist. There's one who comes after me and who will baptize you with what? Not in water, but in fire. God wants to baptize us in fire, ever increasing, ever growing in his knowledge, ever growing in a passionate love relationship with him, intimacy with him. And so they would tell me, you know, if you calm it down a little bit, it, it reminded me of, of Reinhard Bunke. Uh, he said, um, this was so funny to me. I was listening to one of his talks. I can't claim this. I, I, I wish I could. Because when you have the fire of God in your life, it makes it look like you have no dignity. You know, you know how you, you grow in the Lord and you kind of start piping it down? You know, at first you begin to tell everybody about him, but as you grow in the Lord... You start to 
not talk so much about them. I remember I used to carry this Bible around. Big Bible. Everywhere I would go, I was like the weird, I was the Bible thumper. How many remember the holy roller word? <laughs> they would call me the holy roller. 18 years, I used to carry this Bible everywhere I go. And so even me, I've got a little sophisticated. Now I'll carry my phone into you know, conferences and things like that. I don't always carry my big Bible. But when I, when, when I think about it and I get convicted, I just you know, unashamedly carry this thing. And, here, here's, and I thought about how, 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 how much we get dignified in the church. And here's what Reinhard Bunke said. He said, I've tried to pipe it down myself, but he said, I can't. He said, I'm a hot preacher, he said. He said, and here's what the Holy Spirit gave him. He said, dignity is not a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says this, when David, David got undignified, he was so full of the fire of God, he was so hungry for God's presence, he danced right out of his outer garments. Amen? Somebody say, get undignified. Keep your clothes on, but be, digni be undignified. Be undignified for the Lord. Don't be ashamed to speak his name. Don't be afraid to share the good news with somebody. When is the last time? I don't want you to answer this question. I don't want you to raise your hands. But how, how many people who know you on your job know that you're radically in love with Jesus? How many people know? If, if what you have is so good and, the good and the good you have the best news in the world, when is the last time you've shared that good news with somebody else? The fire of God, listen to what the fire does, is it doesn't allow you to contain it on the inside. The true fire doesn't allow you to maintain it nor tame your tongue because the true fire of God cannot be tamed. Amen? Hallelujah. And for me personally, there are three things that I think have maintained the fire of God in my personal life. Very basic. How many know we got to get back to basics? I think, so. I think our, our way forward in America is backward back to Judea principles, back to Christian principles, back to the word of God. But one of the things that I have always maintained in my walk with the Lord, and here's how I've used it as a barometer. I haven't always desired to read the word. If somebody tells you, even clergy, if they tell you they want to read the word of God every single day, they're lying to you. Okay. I remember Michael Culliano's coined um, Bill Johnson. How many know who Bill Johnson is? Said recently, um, he said, sometimes you have to treat the word of God like food or like health. He said, it doesn't matter that you didn't remember what you ate yesterday. The important, things is, the important thing is that you got nutrition. And so the important thing is, it doesn't matter if you read, if you read it and then you retain it. The important thing is, is that you read it. One of the ways that I've maintained the fire of God in my life is reading the word of God every day. And for the past 18 years, I have always made it my aim, even if it's just a verse and reading that verse over and over, it maintains the fire of God in your life. It keeps you and helps you to maintain your conviction to the scriptures and to God's principles. It keeps you close to him. It, gets you, it gives you the mind of God. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You can't be on fire if you do not have his mind. Well, this is the mind of God. And if you read the word of God, you get the mind of God. You begin to think like he thinks. I know that sounds crazy, but if he says he made you in his own image, we are supposed to reflect what he reflects. We're simply mirrors. Amen? Reading the word of God will help you maintain the fire of God in your life. Prayer and intercession. Does anybody know the difference between prayer and intercession? Prayer is for you. That's dialogue between you and God, you expressing your needs. But intercession is different. It's on the behalf of other people. And I have found out that intercession keeps the fire burning much more than just prayer in my life. What we were doing this morning is prayer. 
Prayer is, Lord, thank you for this day. Bless me. Let the angels go before me. Thank you for protection and peace over my family. Intercession is, it's praying in the spirit. It's also praying for people, praying for the nations of the world, praying for needs that are bigger than yourself. Amen. It's entering into a place where you begin to feel the Holy Spirit taking over and you begin to, you're, you're beginning to pray, but it's no longer you. It's the Lord praying through you, praying his will in the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whether you're praying in the spirit or intensely praying for the nations of the world, that will stir up the gifting of God. Jude talks about stirring up this fire that's within you. Praying in the spirit. Amen. Somebody say pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit and fellowship with other believers. Again, I said it before, be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you hang out with. Fellowshipping with other believers, other believers who are not frozen. Do you see what I said? So, so it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you're hanging out with other icicles because two icicles who hang out with each other are not going to make each other hotter. You know what? I've made it a, a point in my life. I, I've been going on Sunday nights and been visiting an organization. They have amazing praise and worship just for my own self. I've been attending it. Why? Because I want to get around other people who have the flame of God in their life. And little flame and little flame creates a big flame. Amen. So get around people who are on fire for God, not just people who say, I love Jesus. Fellowshipping with other flames. Hallelujah. Number three, I want to remind you that heat repels. It's important to be a flame because heat repels. What does it repel? We were talking about, she said it attracts bugs when we were talking about camping. I heard Rebecca say it attracts bugs. Like the bugs get really bad. You're very, very right. Light attracts bugs, but here's what it also does. It repels them, right? They can only get so close to the heat. When you have the fire of God in your life, the enemy can only get so close. Yeah. Yeah. The enemy is messing with many of you, not because you're just a believer. He's messing with you because your fire is quenching. And that's always a barometer. When you see the enemy at work in your life, it's just an indication that you need to find some areas of your life that you need to cast on as a log, right? There are dead areas of, in all of our lives. And that's one other reason you maintain the flame is find out certain areas of, in your, of your life that need to die. And treat them like logs and put them on God's fire so he can begin to cause you to burn again. Amen? Somebody say, die to self. Die to self. Find those dead areas and put them on God's altar so he can send the fire. I love that song. It says, you provide the fire and I'll provide the sacrifice. It's up to us to provide the sacrifice. It's up to God to birth the fire in you. Amen? There was this fiery preacher ministering at a meeting one time, and the Holy Spirit began to fall on the entire congregation, and everybody with the exception of three or four people. And he said he got a revelation. So all these people are falling out in the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're laughing, and they're having a great time. They're shouting like some of you guys were earlier, blowing trumpets, just going wild for the Lord, worshiping him. But then there was this three or four uh, individuals in a little group and they were unmoved. I mean, just like soldiers, looking straight ahead, not worshiping God, just, just looking at the minister, looking what was going to happen next, watching, watching the worship leader. And he said he got a revelation. He said the Holy Spirit told him that those are asbestos Christians. How many know what asbestos is? 
I'm in the building industry. Okay, so let me educate you just a little bit. So I work on a lot of historic homes. For those of you who don't know, I've been in the painting industry for almost 20 years. I've been in the painting industry for 18 years. So I've done the original Orlando Regional downtown, the very first one. It was built in 1915, I believe it was, stamped historic downtown across from Morgan and Morgan. Those type of older buildings have what's called asbestos. Asbestos is in between the walls, and if a fire were to catch, the asbestos will keep the, the fire from spreading. It resists, it's fire resistant. It's like firewalls. We know them to be firewalls today. How many know what a firewall is? So the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, those are asbestos Christians. So I have found in my personal walk with the Lord that there are one or two people in Christendom. You're either fireproof or you're flammable, like Reinhard Bonnke would say. You're either going to be flammable or fireproof in prayer and intercession and reading your word and fellowshipping with other believers causes you to be a flammable person. And why do we want to get flammable? Because we want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. We want to make progress. We want to, we want to move further in our relationship with the Lord. So if the enemy is messing with you to any degree in your life today, it's simply because you need to fan the flame of God in your life and create some heat that makes you dangerous to the powers of darkness, that makes you valuable to the kingdom of heaven so that you can help God's kingdom expand and progress in this hour where the church and the body of Christ needs us more than ever to stand up, to be intercessors, to be flamethrowers. Come on, somebody say amen. To be dangerous to the enemy. Hallelujah. We definitely don't want to be people who repel the Holy Spirit. We want to attract him. And there's nothing that I found uh, more intriguing than what I found in this verse recently. And you can stand to your feet. Um, as we close here in just a moment, Noah's short today. Something I read recently, and before I do, I want to give you this point. The last way that you can become the flame that God wants you to become and develop that fire in your belly, in your heart, in your spirit, in your relationship with God so that you can be effective in every fear of influence of your own personal life there's one key thing that the fire needs. Fire can continue to burn without gasoline. You know that? There's two main thing that, things that it needs. It needs, it, needs, it needs wood. We know that. We talked about that. Throwing dead things in our lives on the altar. Here's what it also needs. And I found this out the hard way the other day when I almost lost my eyebrows. On Tuesday. No, Tuesday was Taco Tuesday. Maybe it was Wednesday. I was barbecuing. And when I opened the grill, it was an inferno. I got a revelation. As I opened that and the oxygen hit the flame, it turned into an inferno. And so I found out that if we're going to be a, be a flamethrower for the kingdom of God, if we're going to develop the fire of God in our lives, we have to provide oxygen to that fire. Somebody say oxygen. Now watch this. I've never seen this before, but the Holy Spirit reminded me of it yesterday. And so I logged it down. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Oxygen. 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. And one sat upon each of them. The fire would have never happened. Now notice what preceded the fire. Oxygen. There's no way that any of us can maintain nor create a fire in our life without the moving of the Holy Spirit. You have to get this because the, the wind represents the Holy Spirit. The fire represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the wind who precedes the fire. And so when, when the Holy Spirit is moving and brooding in our lives, I'm not talking about dead religion. I'm not talking about just reading the Word of God. I'm talking about the third person of the Trinity who moves in our life, who broods in our life, who creates oxygen in our life, who gets us on fire for the kingdom of God, who makes us useful, who creates intimacy between us and God the Father. Now watch this before I close. We have God the Father in the Old Testament. Somebody say the Old Testament. So we have God, who's a father, and then we have Jesus who carried out the work of his father, who established truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we've got Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You follow me? That was God with us. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, God with us. Did you, excuse me, in us. He was with us and now he's in us. Do you see that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is with us. Now, after that, the Holy Spirit descends like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire came, but now the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The only way to truly create a fire in your life is to have the Holy Spirit moving and brooding in your heart. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACC. FL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.